I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey there, welcome to the Book of Joe podcasts. I like to say it is the one podcast that takes you inside the dugout and behind the scenes, unlike anything else out there, of course, based on the book, The Book of Joe, by me, Tom Verducci, and with Joe Madden, three-time manager of the year and world championship manager with the 2016 Chicago Cubs. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Good, brother. And it is by you. You're, you're the definite uh, superstar <laughs> behind this whole thing. I hope you had a good flight out west. Yeah, postseason baseball, Joe. We had, I mean, more than a taste on the wild card weekend. It was some great action. Mm-hmm. Phillies score six runs in the ninth, the biggest comeback in the ninth inning in postseason history. The Mariners have the biggest road comeback in postseason history to take out Toronto. We're not done yet. The Guardians won the longest scoreless game in postseason history. It was 0-0 into the 15th. And now we got to talk about what happened on Sunday night in Queens where the Padres, their pitching staff, threw the best-pitched game in a winner-take-all postseason game. A one-hitter, of course, with Joe Musgrove on the mound. But the enduring image, I think, Joe, is going to be Manager on the field. (laughs) (laughs) That was Buck Showalter coming out of the dugout and ordering or asking for a substance check on pitcher Joe Musgrove. That's the first time I've seen an umpire check a pitcher's ears. I got to start with that because like the book of Joe book, which I think is very unflinching, not afraid to go into any corners of the game. We're going to take on these topics in this podcast. So 
Joe, you've been there. You've been in these playoff situations, pitchers dealing. What did you think of Buck Showalter asking the umpires to check Joe Musgrove? Well, I think it's precipitated on. I didn't even know this until you and I just texted earlier that uh, they have their privy to spin rates during the game. I think that's where it began. I mean, otherwise, uh, just in the good old-fashioned baseball days, I'd have just uh, assumed that he was having a great night, Musgrove. And I'm a big fan, and I heard Buck say the same thing about him. I've seen him, man, pitch masterful games. You're chasing stuff in the dirt. He'll elevate his fastball. He's a great athlete. So I think, I think technology plays something into that, too, because, again, I don't know that you would question that moment unless you had some kind of inside intel, which, from what I read, is true. Um, Part of that, and I think you also told me that Bo Mel said it, you don't check somebody else unless you know your own guys are clean. I run into this um, in uh, a couple of years ago in Washington when Davey Johnson checked Joel Peralta. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, I've, I've had that one, and I've been part of Brendan Donnelly with uh, Frank Robinson at Anaheim Stadium. So it's just it's a tough one, man, because you're asking the check, and I understand Buck's perspective, and it's, you know, you're at that point where you got to do something, and I, that's that's true, but... Um, if you ask your pitchers <laughs> what they think of that, a lot of times they're not really cool about it. And even what happened in Washington, I'm not going to tell you the pitcher's name, but somebody from the Nationals came and talked to me before the game the next day and apologized, which told me he was guilty, you know, in advance without even having uh, uh, been checked out himself. So it's a real fine line to be drawn. I get it. Uh, technology permitted that discussion. Without it, it would have never occurred. Yeah, it's a good point you make about the technology, Joe, because these teams do have access in real time to spin rates and and the breaks on pitches, velocities, and they saw that Joe Musgrove's spin rates were up. Now, that is not the be-all and the end-all. It's sort of like people who like to play internet sleuths, right? They want to solve crimes based on information on the internet that they find. The spin rate can go up based on maybe your velocity went up. Uh, Musgrove had some mechanical changes he made late in the year. He actually had higher spin rates on his slider in multiple starts in the second half of the 21 season. So he's getting to levels that for him, yes, for the 2022 season were high, but they weren't extraordinarily high based on the way that Joe Musgrove can spin a baseball. And that seemed to be entirely where the discussion came from the New York Mets because, well, that because they could barely get a hit off of him so that he's dominating the game. My problem is, that's an that's a strong accusation to go out there. You're essentially announcing to the people you think this guy's not doing it legitimately, and if it's only based on numbers, I have a problem with that. And the folks at John Boy Media, who do a great job breaking these things down, went back over the game film and looked at all the camera shots of Joe Musgrove, and he never went to his ear once upon getting a ball. So that tells me they didn't see anything firsthand, like a guy loading up in between pitches. They're going off reading spin rates, and also their hitters couldn't hit, especially the breaking stuff that he was throwing up out there. I felt a little bit bad for Joe Musgrove because he threw what he said was the game of his life, and, and that's the enduring image. Yeah, I, I agree with the, the point you just made. I was going to bring that up is that nobody said they saw anything, right? I mean, it wasn't like he was going to his belt too often. He had a shiny spot on his leg. They claimed that there was a shiny component to his ears. Not heard that one before except on a beach. You know, So I, I don't know. I don't know uh, if there had been hitters complaining or somebody in the dugout, somebody had been watching and was legitimately concerned about him going to a particular spot too often. And furthermore, they go out to the mound. I mean, a glove itself, I don't, the glove probably, probably was checked too. I would imagine there was no indicator that there was actually stuff there other than seeing different numbers 
on a on a computer possibly. So you're right. I mean, and, and I thought the same thing because I've seen this guy really good. Did, did those numbers compare at all to games he's had in the past? Because um, when he was in Pittsburgh, man, he was one of my favorite young pitchers. Yeah, that's what Bob Melvin said. Just a great dude, too. And he didn't like the fact that mm-hmm. maybe people were questioning his character, not just his pitching. Yeah. So that brings me to when I'm watching these games this weekend, and so far this has held true, Joe, that over the last five years in the regular season, the percentage of breaking pitches has gone up every year. And then you get to the postseason, and they go up even further. And that's the case here at the postseason where the breaking ball percentage rate is now more than one out of every three pitches is a breaking ball. I mean, you saw Munoz coming in out of the Seattle bullpen, throwing 88% sliders, and he could throw his fastball 102. Helsley with the Cardinals got in trouble with his slider, throwing that 3-2, and he can throw 102. So where do you see this going, Joe? Is this based on analytics that breaking pitches, by definition, are harder to hit than fastballs? And how does it play in a postseason environment? Well, some of these guys command their breaking ball better than their fastball, too. I think that's part of it. You get to this uh, this smaller sample size, which nobody wants to try to uh, determine exactly how to um, put numbers up or apply it to that. I just think part of it is, uh, yeah, uh, they could command that pitch more consistently, I think. I mean, if I had a guess, that looks like that to me. And furthermore, the speed of these breaking pitches or sliders or cutters, whatever, are still like somebody's old fastball. Uh, they're still very hard. They're still in the 90s with this kind of breaker cut to them. But I, you saw Hensley the other day. The big thing with him was lack of fastball command. Uh, Hicks, the other young kid over there, will show you lack of fastball command. Uh, a lot of these guys, and I've had it with pitchers in my past too. I've, I told them if, they, if you throw two consecutive fastball balls, I want you to throw a breaking ball. I don't care what the count is. So I think it's a combination of just purely unable to command it. And especially when you get to like a 2-2 two, two or 3-2 three, counts, there's a lot of chase involved, especially the anxiety count of 3-2 from the hitter's perspective. And yeah, I think you have two chances to strike him out there, whether the breaking ball starts as a ball and becomes a strike or it's go strike ball. Both situations, you have a pretty good chance of the hitter either taking it for a call or swinging at it. So I think it, it, it really jumps. Uh, it gives you twice as many opportunities to get somebody to punch out in that situation. So I think it's a combination of um, – the fact that the velocity is still pretty good and the fact that they could command it better than their fastball. Yeah, it's funny how these games tend to turn out to be manager games because they do tend to be tightly played. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm thinking especially about what happened to the Cardinals and the Blue Jays. They had rookie managers who took their starting pitcher out of the game, in my book, too early. Guys who were rolling, they wanted to start that bullpen carousel a little bit earlier, and that begins to put pressure on the back-end guy at the back end of the line who now has to pick up more outs than he did during the season. Um You know, I always say, Joe, that it's very rare, if ever, in today's postseason environment that a manager will lose a game by leaving a starting pitcher in the game too long. But I can see it almost night after night where they lose games by taking him out too early. So you got to tell me, what's it like being in that dugout when you got a starting pitcher out there? Uh, when to take him out, even when it looks like he's rolling. Well, part of that is that's all the pregame discussion, quite frankly. And that is, I mean, they'll talk before the game and they'll, they being analytical people, forewarn you about the third time through. And they'll try to guess how many batters this guy can, how many outs can he get on that particular night in advance. So, I mean, you're managing that game and you have all your people above you, your bosses, basically telling you to be careful when it gets to this particular juncture. The safer thing to do is to take the guy out and bring the bullpen guy in. And if it doesn't work, at least you complied with the attitude of the entire group at that point. That's just that's just honesty right there, man. 
Um, and I, I was uh, accused of taking uh, Kyle Hendricks out too soon in 2016, although that was not analytically driven. That was just my take on uh, who was hitting and who was on deck and the fact that Lester had been warming up. So my my thought process was different, but I promise you, a lot of the young managers today, that stuff was pre-scripted. They were, they were told about it in advance to be careful with this, and I think they reacted accordingly. Yeah, there's some really, really interesting deep dive stuff in the book about that, about when you're watching these postseason games and you want to second guess the manager, you got to widen the scope a little bit yep. based on the conversations and scripts that are put in place before the game with the management team. It's really worth exploring the book. Um, really, I, I think it's the first time people have really gotten really deep into the weeds on that kind of issue. Hey, we've got a lot more coming up here, and I know you want to stick around for this. There is one particular at-bat that Joe Madden saw over the weekend that he can't wait to talk about. Stick around. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings, that frustrating thing your mom does, or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Book of Joe. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast with me, Tom Verducci. Of course, I'm with Sports Illustrated, senior writer and analyst for MLB Network and Fox, and Joe Madden. He's the Joe in the Book of Joe, three-time manager of the year and world championship manager with the 2016 Chicago Cubs. So before the break, Joe, we talked about one particular at-bat that really caught your eye. And it, maybe it wasn't a home run, but something you saw that you really liked. Segura's at-bat. Nobody really talked about that enough when he just punched the ball to right field. It just seems that that kind of at-bat becomes more popular at this time of the year. Everybody's trying to do that, but if you haven't nurtured it over the course of the season... It becomes more difficult. Segura's a good hitter. He'll hit the ball everywhere all the time. He's a very difficult guy to pitch to and defend. But that's that's the that's the seven a moment. That's the game changer right there. That little butt out poke to right field, and that makes all the difference in the world. Uh, McNeil with the the Mets, but that's just his mo with the choked up method that he does. These guys, you hit. Let's say, for instance, you hit twenty home runs, and let's say you're really going to hit twenty five. What do you do with your other five hundred seventy five plate appearances? That's never spoken about. And that's the part to me that you need to be able to nurture and understand. I call it the B-hack, two-strike approach B-hack, where you choke up, look the other way first, look away first, and keep your fastball hack loaded. It's, it's easier to, to, to adjust down from a mental velocity pitch to a breaking ball as opposed to think of something soft and have him, the pitcher, throw something hard. There's, there's methods in place. Part of the problem is just lack of compensation for it. Nobody really wants these kind of guys, the guys that just – David Fletcher, it was a pleasure of having David Fletcher with the Angels, my goodness. He's one of my favorite all-time players. And then Nico Horner with the Cubs cut from that same cloth. I promise you when it gets to the playoffs, and I hope they both get there, these guys are really going to shine because they're going to do little things in those moments based on their ability to move a baseball when it's necessary. And that's, that's really what it comes down to. I think it needs to be nurtured more, needs to be taught more. And if you really want to get it done, it probably has to be compensated for more. Uh, but that, to me, is the essence of this time of the year playing baseball, where uh, putting the uh, personal numbers go in your back pocket. And really, it gets to be all about teaming. So you should see more of that as we move forward. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Joe. That base hit by Gene Segura, the Phillies. You could see the commitment that he had in that moment to put the ball in play. Because as you know, it, the pitch was way outside it looked like a breaking ball a slider way off the plate and just the commitment that he had to move the ball put it in play and gets it through the infield huge moment in that game in fact that whole philadelphia rally was built not on the home run ball but putting the ball in play and not chasing a ton of walks and let's say the cardinals helped them out the defense was a little bit shaky but here's what that inning got me thinking joe it goes back to the book the book of joe and where you mentioned the five levels of being a professional and that fifth level is when that player wants one thing. All I want to do is win. And I'm telling you, I hadn't thought about it until you brought this up in the book, but I've always thought of players when they get to that point around 28 to 31, they're at their physical peak, typically in baseball. But maybe that's also the point where they're at their mental peak, where they've made the money, they feel like they belong, and now they truly only want to win. And I look at that Philadelphia team. Which, listen, they've got their issues, right? It's not a great bullpen. It's not a great defensive team. But I look around, I see Segura, and I see Harper, and I see Castellanos, and I see Hoskins, and I see Real Muto. I see a lot of guys out there that, in your words, Joe, are level five professionals. How about that? Yeah, I mean, quickly, level one is happy to be here. Just happy to be part of the big leagues. Level two, survival. I really like this. I want to stay here. 
Level three would be, I, I belong here. I can do this. And we all have to arrive at that point. Level four to me is I got to make some dough. I got a short time frame. I want to make as much money as I possibly can. And then the level five player uh, uh, shows up or exists. All I want to do is win. And, and once you've gone through those first four stages, I, it applies in baseball. I think it applies in a lot of other uh, industries too. When all you want to do is win, what's, what's best for the group, the altruistic kind of methods and thought process. That's what you're seeing right now. Nobody's out there thinking about themselves. Nobody comes to the ballpark worried about uh, getting two or three hits. They will move a runner if it's necessary. You will poke the ball to right field if it's necessary. You will get in front of any particular ball that's hit hard if it's necessary. Your mindset changes. And, and again, I, I guess that's probably true of any sport, but I, I'd like the idea of the game being played like that all the time. And that's one of the things that when I go to spring trainings, I've often and I always do talk about the five levels in the beginning of camp. But the Phillies, you talk, well, every one of these groups, they got a bunch of guys right now that all they want to do is win. And when you get to that mental, uh, level mentally, your game starts adjusting for the better. Well, as long as you've been in the game, Joe, you're bound to run into guys who run across the entire spectrum of those five levels. And while you were talking, I specifically thought about two teams of yours that are on both ends. I think about when you first got to the Devil Rays, and let's face it, you had a lot of guys there who were just trying to get a foothold in the big leagues, and you needed to change the entire culture there. You weren't exactly chock full of level five guys with those 06 Rays. Right. Uh, and then go forward a decade more to 2016, where that Cubs team really was a younger team. I think it's the youngest team to win a game seven of the World Series, and yet it seemed to me from the outside that you did have a lot of level five guys, even though they were young. So how about those two groups? Sprinkle. You got to sprinkle it with the right guys within the clubhouse. The Rays, for example, we had uh, Cliff Floyd, Troy Percival was within that group. And Eric Hinsky had a great influence there too. Yeah, well, you're talking about after you flipped it a little bit, right? Because you had to ch turn over that, that roster. Yeah, I mean, the 2006 and seven, it was full of devil rays. We had to get rid of the devil rays and, and the, and the uh, culture and the way it was uh, it just had been formed. But yeah, it was the these these players that came in, the level five guys coming in, mixing with the younger guys, really helped influence that situation a lot. You need if you have a group of young talented players, which I really dig on. I mean, you got to sprinkle it with the right seasoning. You just have to. One of my favorite, Cliff Floyd, he was outstanding, and I said Ski, and of course Percy. Then you move forward, you got Johnny Lester with that particular group, Jason Hayward, uh, David Ross, um, that whole group, Johnny Lackey. There was there's. You want to be able to balance your young uh, up-and-comers with uh, the tried and trues that had been there. And I think that's what both of those teams benefited from in 08 and 16 is the fact we had a lot of great young talent. And then they're nurtured and they're, they're just BS. I remember the one time David Ross, who was not easy on some of these guys, met Addison Russell at the top step of the dugout after a really not-so-smart play. Um, so there's an accountability there from the younger players to the guys that are there just to win. And they learn in a hurry that that's what it's all about. You have to, you're coming here to play to win. And we got to think, we got to think in advance and mental mistakes have no place in this game. So how does all that apply to postseason baseball, Joe? We hear that phrase a lot, you know, treat it like it's another game. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously the stakes are higher, right? Mm -hmm. The parks are full. The pressure is ratcheted up. As a manager, how did you prepare your teams to handle that? From day one of camp, my line is, and I did want them to treat it like any other day. I wanted us to play the same game of baseball regardless of it was March 15th, July 15th, October 15th. What does that mean? 
I don't believe in uh, turning up switches or dials or I wanted us to play the same style of baseball regardless of the date on the calendar. In other words, I want that Segura hit in the middle of July. I, I want that. I want taking the extra base on August 1st. I don't want it just to occur uh, when we get to the playoffs. My point was that if we nurture ourselves mentally to play that same uh, playoff caliber kind of game daily, when it gets to that point, when it is actually a playoff game, there's nothing to change. You've already had that mindset. You've already had this method of going about your business on a daily basis that when you get there, you, you in your minds, you've already done this. And I would really pound on that. I would make sure that they, they heard that from me more than once. They heard it in spring training and my second meeting at the middle of the year and, of course, right before the playoffs began. They heard this from me all the time. And I thought if we could treat every day the same and not add any more weight to it, then you can walk out there and not uh, be taken by the crowd or the magnitude of the game uh, from a different perspective, immediate perspective. And that's what I did. And I really try to hammer home the sameness of every game, but then you got to get them to play like that in July. Very cool. Hey, we've got the top four seeds. They're in action this week. And I want to talk about those higher seeds in this round. And I also want to talk about, and Joe, you're going to love this, one of the most underrated cars cool. in the course of history. Yeah, we talk cars here too. Yeah, okay. Be back in a flash on the Book of Joe. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the Challenge Gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, 
Hey, welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. I'm Tom Verducci with Joe Madden. And Joe, this week, we're seeing the top teams in action. I thought it was a huge advantage coming into the LDS round for those one and two seeds to have the rest, while essentially those teams that had to play in the wild card round had to burn up a lot of their pitching. Tell me how you see it as a manager. You get the days off, which I guess can be problematic, and but you also get to line up your pitching. So rest versus rust. Where are you at on that? I'll take the rest. Uh, I like it. Just like you said, you get a chance to uh, set up your pitching. I, need, I think the Mets would have loved to have a couple more days to not play the Padres and then set up their pitching and give their guys an opportunity to be, really be feeling a lot better about themselves. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't tell you that playing some really hard-fought games – and winning is going to set you up in this next round, i.e., talked about this with you when we played the Nationals with the uh, Cubs in, eight, in 17, and we win in, in Washington. A really, I mean, one of the more difficult games I've ever participated in, and then have to get on a plane and go play the Dodgers, who had just uh, flown back and forth from Arizona and, and swept the uh, Diamondbacks. So there's to be rested and line things up to me is an absolute advantage. I totally believe that. I don't think there's any rust involved. I mean, these guys will go out there ready to play. They're going to be eager to play. Any little bumps or bruises, uh, they had a chance to heal it up a little bit. If they're working on something specifically, they get more ops to do that. And even from a team perspective, you have a chance to, if a team has something that you need to stop, you got to do a better job. I'm, I, it's primarily, I would say, defensively. Um, and you would have a chance to work on that or talk about it a little bit more. I think there's an advantage there, too. Um, the rest of the stuff uh, versus their pitchers versus their hitters. That's the stuff you do all the time. And Dodgers, Padres, how many times did they play this year? Braves, Philly. So there's no, not a whole lot more of information to be had right there. Um, so that's pr- primarily comes down to I prefer the rest. Yeah, we have a lot of intra-divisional matchups, not a lot of secrets in three of those matchups. Right. You know, two wrinkles fans should be aware of in this postseason. Basically, it was caused by the lockout, had to kind of gerrymander the schedule a little bit to get the postseason calendar in. But in the ALDS, the schedule goes game one, off day, game two, off day, and then game three. So, you know, Aaron Boone could bring back probably Will Garrett Cole on game four. So you have your ace starting two of the first four. Houston's Dusty Baker. I don't, I don't think he does that with Justin Verlander because Justin has pitched mostly with five days of rest this year, and they have such a deep rotation. And then the other wrinkle is five games in a row in the LCS, potentially games three, and if it goes the distance to seven, all in a row without an off day. So I, I call that bullpen palooza, Joe. I mean, you know what it's like when you play a seven-game series and you have three consecutive days. You almost have to start managing with that in mind yeah. in that first of the three straight so imagine five straight in the postseason that almost seems unfair i, I didn't know realize that um because you could set up your whole team and roster differently based on those days off in a five-game series you could possibly plug in there one more pinch hitter or possibly uh one more defender just one more of something and and not have to worry about another starting pitcher possibly so there's there's a difference really when it comes down to roster construction with those days off and then furthermore like you suggested rested bullpens um, it's really a true challenge when you have to play daily without any days off, like the National League is going to have to do. That's that's a lot more difficult. Um, so I'm I'm curious. I want to. Uh, I think it would be interesting to see how things are lined up. But just realize in uh, these American League games, there's going to be a chance to uh, use your guys to 
three games in a row uh, coming out of the shoot. They play on the first day, day off. I'm talking about relief pitchers. Pitch on the third day, day off, and they can pitch on the fourth day. Am I right? Is that how it's coming up? Yeah, I think you're right. So you could go your best relievers three days in a row, even to the point, like just say you have a small deficit early where you normally wouldn't bring in one of your even or ahead guys. You might go there now because you know there's going to be rest to be had. And uh, you want the, the, the maybe the pitch part of the pitching staff that you have there in order to preserve a the rest of the group in a bad game or a really good game. Don't even have to go to those guys. So I there's a different there's a different uh, roster construction going into these games for both leagues. By the way, the book version of this podcast it's full of we call them madnisms, right? Yeah. In fact, every chapter is headed by a madnism, but. You also have your own sort of glossary, Joe, in addition to <laughs> these madnisms. And I was thinking about the word jug runs. I'm watching the Padres put away the Mets, and they had the game pretty much in hand, but they really took control and really punctured the Mets balloon with the two-run hit by Juan Soto off of Diaz when he came in again, Edwin Diaz. How important is that? And this is why you attached a name to it, especially in the postseason when you can have even one, but any kind of tack on run scoring late in the game, even when you do have a lead. When I was instructional leagues running the Angels in the 80s, I had, I called it the jug run, go for the jugular. What I wanted was when we had a lead in the bottom of the eighth at home or on the road in the top of the ninth, I wanted us to push to get one more run. Uh, it obviously adds on to your lead. Plus, it kind of deflates, deflates the other team going into their last at bat. So I'm really big on that. I think it's a uh, it's it's it should. Um, I know I the, every game when we have that lead in those moments, I would start yelling, "Let's you know go, let's go for the juggler, let's go!" And I would bring it to everybody's attention. It's that important. So uh, I'm, I will watch these games with that kind of interest. I think that gave that the run by Soto that was in the eighth inning, correct? Wasn't that a two run single? Yeah, it was. So maybe technically it wasn't a jug run. But it felt like it. No, but it has, it has, it could be, it's just like a sister or a, a relative of the jug run. But I'm big on that. I think adding on late uh, matters a lot. And in your last at bat with the lead, you could really deflate the other side. By the way, I mentioned uh, the most underrated car make model. Yeah, what was that? I'm going station wagons here, Joe. I mean, <laughs> I'm partial. I will admit, full disclosure, as a kid, we had a station wagon. I'm one of eight. And we used to call the way back. Like if you're ever going anywhere as a family, it's like, I got the way back. That was the coolest place to sit, the third row in the back. And some of those station wagons, you could actually look out the back window. You're facing out that way. We've done away with it. We're, we're a country and a world full of minivans and SUVs. These kids should have the privilege and the honor of riding in the way back. What do you think about station wagons? Agreed. I got one. It's parked out in the garage right now. Mine's called T-Shirt Ted in honor of my wife's uh, deceased father, Teddy. Teddy was big on station wagons too. The biggest, uh, the most important factor with that is to make sure that your exhaust system was working properly so that the kids in the back don't get asphyxiated. <laughs> uh, but I love it. I love them. Oh, wait a second. On T-Shirt Ted, yeah. you, you got to tell people because I've seen this bad boy. Uh -huh. You got to describe that year, make, model, colors, the whole nine yards. Yeah, Custom Cruiser 8085. It's actually a Delta 8885 Oldsmobile. It's got 57,000 original miles on it. It runs like a champ. Got a killer stereo system. And I've driven in from here in Pennsylvania to Florida. It's been to Chicago. It's been to Arizona for spring training. One of the finest, most comfortable rides on the road, the uh, 1985 Delta 80. I think it's a Custom Cruiser station wagon blue with then on, on the hood i also have uh, one of our paintings the salvador dali which is the uh, tools of intelligence about catching 
peeking over to look into the dugout for a sign and all the little things that I wrote on it. Uh, people love it. I mean, I get stopped all the time. One year, I just thought I need a station wagon. And I found it for 8500 8, bucks, 8500 right up here in upstate New York. The guy drove it down. And it's been my one of my faves ever since. That is so cool. You know, when I was a really little kid, and you think about someday when I'm old enough to drive, yeah, I wanted one of those bullpen carts they had at Shea Stadium. <laughs> it was shaped like a baseball, and I couldn't figure out why isn't everybody driving those on the road? It was so cool. And then I got a little bit older. I was like, I'm all about the Vista Cruiser, the Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser. When I have a family, that's where I'm going. So if you ever come across one and you're uh, antique hunting, keep me in mind. I shall, but they should make a comeback for the for anybody, the wife, the, the soccer mom, whatever, the soccer dad. It's so easy to throw all the gear in the back there and get the kids in the back. And it's a way comfortable ride. I'm a big fan, actually. I got a, I got a 76 Dodge van, too. But this one here, just for purely cruising purposes, uh, one of the best ever. All right. Cool stuff. Hey, Joe, before we get out of here, I'm wondering if you see any upsets on the horizon. Because when I first heard about this new postseason format, I didn't think there was any way that a one or two seed is going to get knocked off in the LDS. By definition, they're the better team. They have home field advantage, and now they have the advantage of a rested pitching staff going in. Do you see an upset in the LDS this year among these four LDS series? Well, now it's plus out of five, two. Best out of three, man. Anything, that's, that's a tough one. You have no chance to recover. Cubs win down three games to one uh, in 2016. There's no way to come back in these in these shorter series I've talked about, I'm really happy that it's no longer just a one-game wild card. Uh, so I think when you get the three out of five and the rested teams being able to set things up and the other teams pretty much having to pedal to the metal for a bit, I, I do believe that the uh, the favorites have an advantage right now. That's why you play the way you play during the season to win your division to get this time off. So except what the Guardians won their division and they're, they gotta they got to participate after playing the Rays in a tough series. But the rest of it, I think, have an advantage. Best out of five, the favorites will have a chance to have that roster show up where they have uh, possibly less holes. I'm sure we will get some surprises. This is postseason baseball, unpredictable, unscripted. And, hey, we're going to be back here on Thursday with another episode of the Book of Job podcast. And I'm sure whatever it is, controversial, spectacular, hopefully it's not umpires checking pitchers' ears. We'll be here to talk about it. So, Joe, looking forward to the next episode of The Book of Joe. Same here, Tom. Thank you. Great job, buddy. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts